0: Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to com slash support.
1: The best way to put it is it's somebody who is freedom-minded, who is going to apply their principles in every way they reasonably can in their life.
0: To the Lions of Liberty Podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back, you little liberty kitties. It's time for another trip down Liberty Lane in today's show, the 298th episode of this here flagship program here at Lions of Liberty, which of course means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 298. And we are only two episodes away from our big 300th episode, which as I announced last week, will feature a conversation between Jason Stapleton and and Larry Sharp about the Libertarian Party and how to best message the ideas of liberty. And if you were a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, you would have already heard a portion of that show. So go on over and find out some more deets about that over at lionsofliberty.com slash support once again, and help us grow this program while getting access to even more Liberty Audio goodness. It's a win-win for everybody, really. And you know what else is a winning combination? That's liberty and beer. And if you're a regular listener of this show, you know that not only do we like to talk liberty around here, but we also enjoy an adult beverage or two now and again. And that's why today's guest is such a perfect tie in because he is the co founder and CEO of the new Agorist Brewing Company, a home brewery that's on its way to transforming into a real live brick and mortar brewery. Just a hop and a skip down the 405 in Anaheim, just south of my home here in sunny Los Angeles. I am pleased to welcome in. Alexander Meyer, Alex, are you ready to roar? Let's do this. All right. Let, let's do this indeed. And as I mentioned, uh, we're going to talk more about your, your little entrepreneurial boozy adventure here in just a minute. But I didn't bring you on the show just because you're some guy who started a brewery. There's plenty of those. Uh, as astute listeners might notice from the name of the brewery, uh, this endeavor does have a an libertarian angle to it. So why don't we start there? Why don't you start off just telling us how you first became interested in the ideas of liberty?
1: Well, I think I was uh, really fortunate that I grew up in a sort of libertarian-leaning household. My dad was, uh, I'd, let's call it a conservatarian, for as long as I can remember. Uh, much more on the libertarian side, but uh, you know, being politically minded, tended to uh, you know go towards the Republicans because they could actually get elected um, <laughs> at that point in time. So uh, yeah, I had a lot of that uh, that knowledge of of history and uh, you know, the Constitution and all of that, that was a core belief in my household. And then as I got older, got into philosophy and, uh, and entrepreneurship and sort of led me down the road to where I started reading about Austrian economics and found Ron Paul and from there found uh, Rothbard and Mises and, and all of that.
0: And we've heard the tale before, because almost every guest I have on the show either mentions Ron Paul or Ayn Rand. I'd say probably 98%, and then get, they get sort of get led down a path from there. Now, one of the guys that mentioned Ayn Rand uh, is actually a guy you're familiar with, because he's a big proponent of beer, <laughs> and it's associated with freedom, and that, that's Matt Kibbe. And I know you actually have up on your website a little picture of Matt Kibbe with the, the phrase that he's used in, a, in one of his videos before, and he, that is, Beer is freedom. So why don't we try to make this connection right now? What is the connection between beer and freedom or just the ideas of liberty in general?
1: Well, uh, I'd like to even go maybe a little further back. Let's go much further back. Let's keep going. I
0: I like to dig here.
1: So I like to say that beer is the source, savior, and spirit of civilization. If it weren't for beer, then human civilization would not be where it is today. It is the force that got us to lay down roots and... Uh, establish you know and uh, agriculture. It was the uh, you know the the staple food that got us through um, you know plague-stricken Europe and to the age of enlightenment. and um, and it's embodied sort of that spirit of uh, of of progress and innovation all along the way. Uh, and where I I feel the freedom really starts to come into play is uh, post-prohibition. We saw that uh, there was really only a a handful of, of big breweries that were able to compete after they were all wiped out during prohibition. And then in the 1970s, it was finally federally legalized that people could start to homebrew. And it wasn't until the regulations were More fully lifted, and there's still a ton of problematic regulations around it, but enough so that people could really start to follow the spirit of how beer advances society once again. And we started to see craft breweries pop up and uh, new. Forms of beer and innovation come about, and I think that it really encapsulates the spirit of of capitalism and and free markets better than so many other areas where it's maybe a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of negative connotations with a lot of big businesses, but craft beer is is bringing it back to the people, where people have a good feeling about. Uh, about companies and corporations once again
0: there's a couple of interesting tid- tidbits that i want to pick out of there i mean one is something i never really thought of before but it, it kind of makes sense uh just thinking about the role that alcohol often plays in, in our own lives and uh, when you mentioned how people used alcohol to sort of get through the plague and really tar- tough times you know and, and i kind of imagine if everybody's around me is is dying uh i might be inclined to go grab a beer you know <laughs> if, if that, i might be inclined to grab an extra shot of whiskey uh so I mean, and, and that's really interesting and I didn't really think about this but uh, I, I didn't realize home brews were actually banned even for home use even for to make beer for yourself until around the 70s
1: yeah, that's right.
0: And then further than that, it's only in recent more recent years that laws have loosened even more uh, that have allowed people to start their own craft beer breweries and that kind of thing. So, what what do you think is is the reason for this trend towards the liberalization of even those laws? I mean, we we always focus on on the war on drugs and we still you don't really think about alcohol in that category so much since it's not fully illegal, but there are a lot of restrictions on alcohol and uh, now we're seeing marijuana restrictions being loosened all over the country and I guess the same actually goes true for some of the the alcohol restrictions as well. So what do you think is behind that trend?
1: Well, I just think it's it's market demand. People love craft beer. There's been the the uh, the options in the beer market have been so uh, repressed for the longest time. You know, after World War II, pretty much all you could get was light beer from one of the big five breweries or whatever. And uh, then all the experimentation led to people, uh, you know, demanding higher quality product and more differentiation, uh, you know, from from this uh, commodity, let's say. Um, And so as the market demand increases, we're seeing uh, actually seeing sort of a battle arise. I'd say there is a battle between those that want to further liberalize the industry and make it as easy as possible to open new craft breweries and distribute and then you're seeing AB InBevs and and all of them that are seeing this as a threat to their hold on the market so they are actively working with the uh, you know the beer lobby and everything to suppress these breweries through, uh, mostly through the distribution laws. For instance, in Nevada, there's this big battle going on within the craft beer industry that uh, is focused around this assembly bill, AB 431, that was proposed by assemblywoman Irene Bustamante Adams. And she was given thousands of dollars in campaign contributions from AB InBev. And you know a result was this bill that would place a limit on how much beer craft breweries could manufacture to 20,000 barrels a year and uh, also places a limit on the amount of beer that they can sell out of their retail location to 2,000 barrels. But luckily, with a lot of pushback in the craft beer community, they managed to amend the, uh, that bill allowing for the, the production cap to be raised to 40,000 barrels and uh, also removed a limit on how many tasting rooms a brewery can have throughout the state. So uh, there's a lot of these battles going on, and, um, and I think it's a perfect example of how um, this industry is showing that um, actually having less regulation allows for greater prosperity and allows for the industry to grow. But uh, other other states are, are winning. And uh, luckily in California, we don't have that problem right now,
0: which is somewhat surprising because in, in many aspects, this is one of the most regulated states, uh, you know, maybe may the most regulated state in the country. If not, it's pretty darn close in, in most aspects of business. So it's at least good that in this one area of California seems to be OK.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it, it really is a positive for us that we can self-distribute as much as we would like. And even taking it one step further, the reason why we are going to be locating our brewery in Anaheim is because Tom Tate, the mayor of Anaheim, is a free enterprise proponent, and he is also a craft beer fanatic. So he's made it his personal goal to turn Anaheim into the, uh, the craft beer mecca, let's say, of Southern California. He wants to rival Portland.
0: That's great, actually. I mean, especially for you. But uh, you know, it's it's great to have a mayor that really likes to drink because he's he's going to be pretty open to the the opening of these establishments. So he's actively working to get more craft breweries in that region than if he's trying to make it the next Portland.
1: Yeah, that's right. And they're working with the different local agencies to make it as easy, cheap, and quick as possible to open a brewery in Anaheim. So I mean, you know, being a libertarian, I respond to economic incentives. So. Anaheim is where, where we're going.
0: Now, there's a, a tiny bit of irony here <laughs> just because of <laughs> the name of your company is the, the new agorist brewing company, agorism being, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to let you describe what that word means and what it means to you because you know, I've had other guests on the show that, that describe themselves as agorists. Um, I don't know if you actually describe yourself like that in, in all aspects of life. Obviously, you can't fully be an agorist and, and open a brewery without having it shut down pretty darn quickly. But why don't you describe <laughs> what the word agorism means to you and, and why you decided to name your brewing company w- using that term?
1: Sure. So uh, Samuel Konkin came up with that term in the 80s, uh, sort of hearkening back to the, uh, the let's call them free markets of uh, the ancient Gre- Greco-Roman tradition. And uh, an agorist is somebody who, as he puts it, lives completely in freedom and for freedom. So they they tailor every aspect of their life around living as freely as possible. As you said, it's impossible to to open a brewery and be pure agorist because we would get shut down uh, Violently, I'm sure (laughs) very quickly Uh, So we definitely are Let's just say we're we can't by default be pure agorists, But that is sort of the reason behind the term that we're that we're coining uh, which is new agorist and the best way to put it is it's somebody who is freedom-minded is going to apply their principles in every way they reasonably can in their life. So there's no longer, I think, one of the issues with with agorism uh, from a traditional standpoint is you have to be a pure libertarian and really adjust your life in in every facet to be a pure agorist. And it's not not an easy thing to do. You know, the the adoption rate of people uh, assuming an agorist lifestyle is going to be very low and very slow.
0: Especially when it winds them up in jail, which it often might, depending on in how how far they they take the agorism, how open they are with it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So we are looking at it as a practical way of approaching the the idea of living your values, where we do have to uh, uh, submit in some areas, such as paying taxes and getting getting licensing from the government in order to operate. But at the same time, we can introduce ideas and new ways of doing things that uh, will allow people to incorporate living more freely in their life.
0: Now, I want to talk about your beers in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to have you speak on a little further about the concept of the brewery itself, because you're looking at this as a lot more than simply a place you go to have some beers and and leave. I mean, you're you're really trying to make something different out of this. So why don't you detail that just a little bit more for us?
1: Yeah. So uh, one Aspect of agorism, which I think is a really great thing that we incorporate is community It's all about building communities of like-minded individuals and being able to sort of showcase the virtue of, of What you stand for so the brewery that's in the works right now is Definitely going to be a community institution. It's it's going to be a place where we will have regular speakers possibly on, on a weekly or or even daily basis to come and talk about different subjects from entrepreneurship to cryptocurrencies to um, any number of things. And uh, we're also going to be working with local entrepreneurs and innovators to help give them a platform to develop their their ideas to you know reach their goals
0: so you're really trying to work uh, a bit of your politics obviously you're, you're it's right there in your name anyway but into the actual operation of of the brewery itself by holding events by uh, i don't want to call it propaganda but you know by having libertarian ideas out there uh, sort of in the context of the social gatherings that occur at the brewery
1: exactly and you know i i Would hesitate to even say that we're going to be, you know, outright libertarian and just have libertarian speakers. I mean, anybody is welcome to come and speak and let their ideas be heard and be evaluated based off of the merit of their argument. Um. So you know, we'll we'll have all sorts of different speakers. We definitely want to uphold a certain level of standard. Let's say, you know, I wouldn't want to have anybody there that's uh, advocating for violence necessarily. You're not. You're
0: not going to invite Antifa to uh, to give a speech or anything like that.
1: Huh? <laughs> I, I'd invite them to debate me. That that would be a lot of fun. But they don't. They don't do that. So. I don't know.
0: All that around booze could get could get scary pretty quick.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll have to tell them to leave their bike locks at the door. <laughs>
0: Leave the bikes and the locks both outside, please. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Alex, I'm getting thirsty. I'm ready to try some of these beers. But first, a quick word from today's sponsors. Hey, guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at WeAreLibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at WeAreLibertarians.com. Hey, everyone. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week, we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at JohnnyRocketLaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. (laughs) <laughs> I want to move on here because I, I honestly, I just, I can't wait anymore because you actually sent me a couple samples of your beers here and uh, I've been, I've had them in my fridge for a couple weeks while I've been, we've been trying to work out the time here. I'm, I've literally have them right here sitting in front of me unopened and what we're gonna do now we're gonna sort of i, I want to say live everyone knows that it's a podcast we're not airing this live but uh this is going to be recorded live in real time i have not tried these beers yet so i'm gonna tee you up on a couple of these drinks and uh, as i fumble around and get them open i'll let you sort of describe the beer a little bit while i pour my glass and then i'll take a taste and uh, i'll give you my live reaction so are, are you nervous at all first of all
1: no <laughs> uh, no not really people generally really like our beer, faith
0: in my beer. <laughs> the listeners yeah. at home can even hear me fumbling around with the ice this is purely legit but the first one we're going to take a look at and and there is one of these that I, i already think i'm going to like a little bit more just because of you know i knowing my own taste in beer but i'm not even going to reveal that yet well we'll see afterwards i want to i want to have a fully open mind here but the one i'm going to start with is the one that i randomly pulled out first and that is the pax ale so why don't you tell us about that
1: all right so the pax is a pale ale that's brewed with grapefruit zest and puree so it's going to be a little hazy lighter uh it's 4.5% 4.5% alcohol. It's, you know, a crisp, easy drinking pale ale. Um, and actually, while you're doing that, I'm going to open up a bottle of the double IPA and join you.
0: And just like that, this is a drinking show, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. And I am having a sip of the packs right this moment. Oh, that is good. Now, I, I this is the one that I have to say I, I kind of had a feeling I would like. More so, we'll see how the next one goes. Uh, Because I am more of a light beer guy, and uh, I really like. I can definitely taste the grapefruit, but not in sort of an overwhelming way. Uh, It really has a nice little little zest to it, but it's not not overpowering. It's 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 light yet flavorful. I guess is how I would describe it.
1: Nice, yeah. That is sort of a defining element of a lot of our beers is that we like to incorporate different botanical elements, but in a way that it's not, uh, let's say, gimmicky. It's balanced and uh, it feels well integrated.
0: Yeah, I can legitimately say that if they served this at my local bar, it would probably be in my rotation of drinks. I, I can definitely say that this is like this is right up my alley. So now we're gonna move on to the more challenging one because I am a little picky when it comes to my beers. Let's see what this one is, though, because I'm not as good with the darker beers, mostly because as I get older, I'm becoming more of a pussy, and I, I just can't like drink a lot of dark beer. And when I when I do drink, I don't drink that often. When I do drink, which might surprise some listeners, because it might seem like I do, because uh, we do a lot of shows where I do drink. But I don't drink all that often. But when I do, I kind of like to drink in, how do I put this, decent amounts, and I have trouble doing that with darker beers. So that's why I kind of <laughs> tend, tend towards the lighter ones. But the next one I'm going to pull out here. This is the Manifesto IPA, so I'm going to go ahead and open this. I am pouring it into a separate glass, so there's no no tainting of the samples here. And I'm going to even have a sip of water in between. But why don't you go ahead and give a little description of the Manifesto while I get set here.
1: All right. Well, the Manifesto is actually our most popular beer. It is uh, an American IPA that we brew with juniper berries. So it's on the piney side uh, of the of the hop spectrum. In fact, we specifically matched the pininess of the juniper berries to uh, to complement the hop profile in there. So the hops that we're using in it are uh, Northern Brewer, Citra, Galaxy, and Mosaic. So if you've got a developed palate, the, the juniper should almost feel like it's one of the hops, in a sense.
0: All right, and here we go. I am now officially taking a sip of the Manifesto IPA. Now this okay. The first thing that strikes me, this is not as hoppy as I was bracing for because I, I do mm. like some level of hops, but I'm I don't like it when it's in, you know very very heavy on the hops. And this this I I mean I can tell there's hops that it's a little hoppy, but it's not super hoppy. So if if you're someone who's not into super hoppy beers, do not let this one scare you off. And. Uh, I, I do like the flavor. I do think I like because I, and I even predicted this. that I do think I like the packs a little bit more. It's just more my style. But this is actually a pleasant surprise because I, I was ready to not love it. So let's just say <laughs> I, I, think I do like it a lot better. I'm not sure if I taste the juniper because I don't know what juniper tastes like. What what is juniper exactly?
1: Yeah. So juniper is the botanical element that gives gin its piney flavor. And as I was saying, I was talking with you about earlier, the uh, the juniper. Our, our intention with this was that the juniper doesn't just, you know, stand out above everything else that it it blends nicely with the with the hot profile. So, the fact that you say you can't pick out the juniper I actually think is what makes it very successful.
0: That's a good thing. I mean, same thing with the grapefruit really in the in the packs. I mean, I read the description and knew there was grapefruit in there, so I think I was primed a little bit, but it, it doesn't overwhelm you with grapefruit. You don't drink it and go, oh my gosh, grapefruit, or oh my gosh, Juniper. It's, ve- it's very subtle, I think, with all, with all the flavors they have here. So I got to say, positive review. I do like the pale, the Pax Pale L a a little better just because it's a little more at my style, but I, I really enjoy both of these, and I, I can tell you I'm going to finish both these beers tonight. And uh, folks, <laughs> these are not tiny beers I was sent. These are larger. These are not 12 ounces. What are these, like 18 that you sent me? They're 22-ounce so, beers. Wait, 20, 22. All right, so... And by and by the way, for those at home, I, we are recording this mid afternoon my time here on the Pacific Coast. So the rest of the day, it might get a little interesting for me.
1: <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> yeah, just just feel lucky that I didn't send you our uh, gravitas oatmeal stout, which is nine percent. Yeah, you would you would only be able to handle 122 of that. And I I, I'm
0: you'd... actually jealous because now I want to try that. I actually <laughs> that sounds delicious. It sounds like it would really save me some time. I guess I could drink uh, <laughs> one of those for every two two of these pack sales. <laughs> uh, now, yep. Alex, you you mentioned. Sorry, are you able to sell these now, or you're not able to sell them at all at this point legally?
1: No, not legally. We um, we give them out to our uh, our friends and followers, and we also have sort of built a reputation Your of
0: podcast host that kind of thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we've built a little bit of a reputation of, of sponsoring events. That is a good way for us to get our beer out to a, a large group of people at once. And uh, one of the recent events that we had was with uh, somebody who's recently on your show, Judd Weiss. We sponsored his New Year's Eve party, his 20s prohibition themed New Year's Eve party and uh, served somewhere on, on par of like 600 people there. Had five of our beers on tap, and it was just a an incredible evening. So that's that's where you're going to be able to find our beers uh, before we open our uh, our actual production facility is at the various events that we that we align with.
0: Now, I happen to know that Judd had, uh, at, at that party, Judd also had a, a smokable element to uh, to that party as well. Did, w- did you notice much crossover between the beer people and the, I guess, uh, well, it's 2017, it's, le- it's just about legal here in California. Uh, I, I guess I can say that it, it, it's marijuana. <laughs> uh, did you notice a lot of the marijuana smokers coming over and, and being interested in the booze, or was it more of a separated thing? Uh,
1: no, people were definitely, you know, imbibing in both. Uh, there were certainly those that would prefer one over the other but i think the thing about uh, about our beers is you know unlike let's say bud light where you have to drink five of them to get a buzz with this you know you have you sip on two over the course of a couple hours and you get a little buzz going and uh and you know you you can pace yourself rather nicely
0: all right. Well, speaking of pacing yourself, you've been really pacing yourself and being really diligent in the formation of this as an actual business, the, the transformation from just a home brewery uh, in your bathtub or wherever. I don't think that's where you actually make the beer, but that's what I like picturing because it reminds me of the Prohibition days. But uh, um,
1: no, I, I brew it in my toilet like uh, like uh, I'm in prison. It's my <laughs> there you go. No, just kidding. <laughs>
0: So, Alex, why don't you just tell us what is your game plan here? How do you plan to get the new Agarist Brewing Company all the way up and running?
1: Well, uh, we have a uh, sort of a multifaceted plan laid out. We're starting by increasing our production capacity so that way we can go to market in Orange County and L.A. in the next few months. So you should hopefully be able to start finding our beers in local Bars and restaurants, particularly ones that uh, cater to the local craft beer market. We're also going to be hosting different pop-up events throughout Orange County and LA with special guest speakers and our beers on tap. So a good way to make sure you're in the know on all of our our future events is to go to newagris.com and uh, sign up for our email list. But we have some even more exciting things planned for over the next few months and one of which is we are going to be launching a crowdfunding campaign to help us be able to build our uh, our brewery and tasting room to the 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 vision that we that we have in mind so uh, for example with the the crowdfunding campaign we're going to be doing it sort of on two tiers where it's you know your your standard crowdfunding campaign that you'll be able to get you know cool merchandise and and you know pre-order beer you'll also be able to do some really interesting things through this crowdfunding campaign such as have a beer created for you and what I mean by that is if you donate at the $5000 level we will bring you in on our Recipe, recipe formulation meeting, uh, to create a beer to your taste based off of what you like. Uh, we will have you involved in the process of naming the beer, and you also get to help us out in brewing a full size batch of beer that's your very own. When we have the uh, the release of that beer to the pub uh, to the public. You'll be the guest of honor and you'll get a a full keg of your own beer as well. So, um, you know, pretty fun, unique perk right there. But um, the other aspect of the crowdfunding campaign is we're actually going to be instituting an equity funding portion to it so that all of our fans and patrons and friends can actually own a piece of the brewery. And so we feel that between the sort of standard crowdfunding approach and also the equity crowdfunding approach we should be able to reach our goal and create a really unique experience in the uh the craft beer community that's unlike anything that i'm aware that's out there
0: well that's awesome stuff man and i really wish you the best of luck when you're able to launch that uh alex before i let you go why don't you just give everybody one more roundup of how they can find the new agris brewing company how they can contact you and, and make sure they get those updates for when that crowdfunding launches
1: Sure, so go to newagorist.com and you can find our sign up form on there and we'll keep you in uh, in the know on all their all the happenings whether it's our our private events or our crowdfunding launch what have you. Uh, and then keep in touch with us on social media, so you know, facebookcom brewery and then Twitter and Instagram at new agorist brews.
0: Alexander Meyer of the new agorist brewing company. Keep up the great work. And again, thanks for the beer, man. They were great.
1: All right. Thanks. I'm glad you enjoyed them.
0: All right. Take care, Alex. All right. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alexander Meyer of the new agorist brewing company. Be sure to check that out and maybe consider investing in this libertarian venture. He's, he's looking for funding in a very libertarian way by putting it out there to the people. And I got to say, there are not that many perks to podcasting, to be honest. I love doing it. I enjoy the conversations. But as far as uh, tangible perks, not that many. I get some free books from some authors. I get uh, I get to talk to people that I have you know would normally not have conversations with, like Ron Paul. I mean, where, when else am I going to have a 15-minute phone call with Ron Paul? Which you can hear by going over to linesoflibertycom slash 200. If you haven't heard that episode, that was my 200th episode where I had Ron Paul on the show. Uh, wonderful time. But point being... One great perk is getting some free beers. It's one of the best perks I ever got for hosting a Libertarian podcast is getting some free beers. So that was really cool. Big thanks to Alexander Meyer. But another great perk of hosting a podcast, probably maybe one of the best, is something that we've really only discovered in the last few months, and that's the ability to go out and help people. And thanks to... The fine folks at DonorSea, Greg Glyer, he was a guest on this show who created that app. I will post the link to that interview in today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 298. But uh, you know, he's got an amazing app where people can directly Donate to specific projects uh, in, in other countries to really help people and to help them directly and see the results, most importantly. Now, we have teamed up, as I mentioned in the last few episodes, with a listener, Clint Rankin, who's created this group called Walk the Walk. I want you to go to Facebook right now. I know you're near some kind of device, whether it's your phone, whether it's computer, type Walk the Walk. There's both a group and a page like that stuff. And if you're not on Facebook, I get it. Understand? Go to walkthewalktofreedom.com. So there's really no excuse not to check this out. But uh, each month or so, we're going to have a special project that we're trying to galvanize the liberty movement to support and fund. Uh, we're in, working in conjunction with some other podcasts. Johnny Rocket Launchpad is on board. We Are Libertarians, Lava Flow podcast. All friends of this show are all going to promote this stuff and try to get this funded. And last episode, just a week ago or so, I told you this project that we're funding this month was only 50% funded. And that was true. Now we're almost 75% funded in just a week. So my, my goal, what I want as a gift, I want you guys to gift me, but it's not really for me. It's for Esther, who's the subject of this project. For episode 300, before that episode drops on June 19th, I want this thing funded. We're going to get to 100%. And this project, again, is for Esther. Esther is living with HIV in Africa, and uh, this project is going to pay for her medicine for a whole year. And additionally, it's going to help train her and get her a job uh, raising chickens at a chicken farm, which in turn is going to also help some orphans that she's going to be helping as well. So this is really a very libertarian project. That's the reason it was chosen uh, to promote this month in conjunction with Walk the Walk, and Donor C. If you do not have the Donor C app, what are you waiting for? Go to the app store, look up Donor C, D-O-N-O-R-S-E-E, download that puppy, and to find Esther's project, you can find me, Mark Claire, on Donor C. You can find Gret Glyer. You can find Clint Rankin. All of us have that project in our on our personal page if you go and click on it. Or, like I said, just head over to lionsofliberty.com slash 298, today's show notes, and check it out. Please, I beg you, I don't want money. I don't want cards. I don't want booze. Well, I do want booze. But most importantly, I want you guys, if you want to celebrate Lions of Liberty episode 300, please, by all means, give a buck, two bucks, three bucks. If everybody does that, this thing is done. And help Esther out. It's really a great cause. I really appreciate your help, guys. In fact, I appreciate your help so much that I'm going to stick around for a few more minutes to take a dip into the old Liberty mailbag and take a crack at a few of your Letters of Liberty. Write me a letter of liberty Ain't got no time for tyranny Time to rent alone Right here from my home A lion just wrote me a letter I don't care how many fallacies I hear I'll take your question and answer it here Time to rent alone Right here from my home A lion just wrote me a letter well, you wrote me a letter, it's about liberty, and I'll answer it now. Listen to my words, and about liberty, I'll explain the best I can. Roar. <laughs> I had to bring that one back. It's been a while. It's been a while since you heard my terrible singing to intro the letters of liberty, but I still do love the Dan Mots jingles. If you haven't heard, by the way, Dan Smotts the originator of several of the jingles you've heard on this program, has a great podcast called The System Is Down. talks about all sorts of crazy, wacky, weird stuff, conspiracy, religion, little politics. Be sure to check that out. But without further ado, it's time to dig into the Liberty Mailbag. And the first letter I pull out comes from Nathan Vowell, Nathan asks, what is your take on the cryptocurrency skyrocketing valuation? Of course, referring to Bitcoin, which has just shot up the charts in recent weeks. And uh, I believe other cryptocurrencies have sort of followed suit. But Bitcoin is the leader, the one that gets all the headlines. And I got to admit, I know this is going to knock me down the libertarian peg for some, for those that already haven't labeled me a globalist shill or a statist or any any number of other things out there on the old interwebs. But, uh, you know, I'm not a huge cryptocurrency fan. I, I don't say that in, in a way that I mean I'm, I object to them I don't I totally am all about uh, the free market producing currencies I think that's the way we should be you know crafting all our laws to open up the free market so people can create their own currencies as they are doing with cryptocurrencies uh, so I, I when I say I'm not a fan I don't mean I'm uh, not a fan of the concept of these things existing I just mean I don't own any I don't own Bitcoin uh, I don't follow this stuff that closely I'm not a fan in that sense because to me you know whenever I try to to look into Bitcoin and creating a wallet, and you might think I'm a dummy, but I, it was too complicated for me. It's more complicated than PayPal. It's more complicated than using my credit card. It's more complicated than buying gold <laughs> for me. Uh, so to me, I, I haven't seen the benefit. Now, obviously, people that bought Bitcoin at a couple pennies and still have it, they think I'm a fool. And maybe rightfully so, because they are sitting on a pile of cash right now. So I'm sure with any sort of mania, and I'm not saying it's just a mania or that, you know. cryptocurrencies don't have a future, I, I believe this technology probably does have a future. I mean, it it's really has proven that it has use, that it has a demand, so I certainly don't think it is, uh, has no value whatsoever, but I think it's very hard for us to judge that value. And when you see skyrocketing valuations, ups and downs all over the place, I mean, it shows you the, the market hasn't really settled and, and figured that out. Uh, I think a lot of that is is going to change uh, in, in response to global crises, uh, in response to the price of gold fluctuating, in response to the price of World world currencies, and if you're someone who thinks you can predict those ebbs and flows, by all means, go for it. Uh, But in terms of investing in cryptocurrencies, and by the way, do not take financial advice from me. This is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. Don't listen to a, a word I say. Please do your own research. This is the opinion of one man and one man alone. But for me, you know, it hasn't become to a point where I see cryptocurrency as either a a worthwhile investment or b something that has practical application for the things I do in life. And maybe that makes me a simpleton. I don't know. Maybe in a few years, that'll change for me. And maybe I'll feel like a fool for not having bought in. Uh, For now, I'm just going to hoard my cash and my gold and my bonds and my stocks and, and all that jazz. Next letter comes from Russell Lehman. Russell asks, if Seth Rich ends up being proven to be the DNC leaker, will we stop hearing about Russian collusion? If not, what will it take? Also, what ends do you think the Russia... Did it narrative hope to achieve? And I, I can't help laughing because just reading your question, I, I start to think of how hopelessly optimistic you are, Russell, that you will ever stop hearing about Russian collusion. Uh, my prediction is that you will literally never stop hearing about Russian collusion as at least as long as Donald Trump is president. I'd be willing to bet you would continue to hear about it even if he were impeached, even if he serves eight years in office, and they will, the next Democratic president that takes over. After Trump will cite Russia conspiracies for why the last eight years is so bad, and therefore why they can't get their job done for their four years or their eight years. This is never going to go away. This has become ingrained in the narrative of the left. And when I say the left, I'm not talking about everybody who's a Democrat. I'm not talking about everyone who identifies as a progressive in some way, shape, or form. I know some people that fit both those descriptions listen to this show. I'm talking about the left, (laughs) the freaking actual scary left who cannot be reasoned with at all and and those are the people pushing this narrative to no end um now, as far as Seth Rich being proven to be the DNC leaker, I don't think that will ever happen either, really. I mean, I think there's very good reason to believe he is, uh, very strong, circumstantial evidence. Unfortunately, I think that's probably where it's going to end, because who's going to investigate this, really? Do we actually think the FBI is going to deeply investigate uh, the Seth Rich murder and and the WikiLeaks investigation and that whole thing? I doubt it. I doubt there's going to be any serious look into that. I think there are too many people watching out for each other, too many people protecting each other. Now, some people might think, well, Donald Trump's in there now, so maybe he'll really push this stuff. Uh, I doubt it. You know, Trump wants the appearance of shaking things up, and he is shaking things up in many ways, uh, especially according to my uh, social media feed in the last week with the reaction to the Paris Accord. But I don't think he's that kind of shaker-upper. I don't think he's going to dig in deep. I mean, he talked about the 28 pages of 9-11. On the campaign trail, now he's making multi-billion-dollar arms deals with the Saudis. So I like—I do think he likes to dog whistle, so to speak, that sort of stuff because that is a lot of his audience—the Alex Jones crowd, the people that are into this conspiracy stuff—and I don't just want to. Yeah, what it drives me crazy crazy is when I see things about the, quote, debunked Seth Rich conspiracy. There's no debunked Seth Rich conspiracy, all right? There is a theory out there that he was the DNC leaker and was murdered for this. This man was killed, and they called it a robbery, and he had no wallet taken, no keys taken, nothing taken from him. He was just shot in twice in the back of the head, and there are multiple people out there who have suggested and... Outright said, as in the case of Kim.com, that he is the DNC leaker, the one that provided the emails to WikiLeaks showing that they were screwing over Bernie Sanders. Seth Rich was a Bernie Sanders supporter. There's a lot of reasons to believe that possibility, especially if you take into account uh, his murder. However, it's not a fact, and uh, I don't know how we can ever really prove it's a fact in in our current state. Now, Kim.com claims he has evidence. So maybe he is. I mean, maybe someday we can see an actual communication between Seth Rich and WikiLeaks, uh, even though WikiLeaks would never reveal such a thing because they protect their sources heavily. But Assange has basically said, well, yeah. Sometimes there are consequences to working with us when asked about this kind of thing. So he's he's almost said that it is Seth Rich. Uh, I don't think he will ever confirm that to the point that uh, the official narrative would change. I don't think CNN is ever going to say, guess what? Seth Rich was murdered for uh, DNC leaks and uh, all that Russia stuff. We were full of it. I am so sorry. You're never going to hear this stuff. No, I, I fully believe. And oh, boy, if we get to the next election, I mean, we're going to get to the next election. I don't think Trump is going to be impeached at all in the next four years. Oh man, this Russia stuff is going to just get overboard. It's all going to come back out, and uh, I really think the left is sinking singing themselves with this stuff because it's so hyperbolic. It's like the reaction to the Paris Accord, and I know I understand people firmly believe this stuff, but. I'm sorry, I can't take people seriously that actually believe the world is going to end in 50 years because Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement. That's absurd. That's nonsense. I know I'm getting off topic here, but that's the whole point of this segment. You want to hear me rant and rave in response to your questions? So here I go. A ranting and a raving. End of the day, no. I don't think we'll ever have conclusive evidence about this stuff. At least not evidence that is uh, officially accepted in the mainstream. Although I think even at this point, there's enough suspicion to look into it further and hopefully the right people can look into it further and at least shed some light uh, for, for the public on this, if nothing else. Next up, Pride member Austin Broderson asks, what are your thoughts on the Confederate statues being removed? And of course, uh, in Louisiana, I believe a Robert E. Lee statue, as well as the statues of several other Confederate leaders were removed. And uh, this is a tough one. And I'm going to sort of dodge the question, but not really. <laughs> It might seem like I am at first. Uh, essentially, I, I have a couple views on it. A, I, I think it's kind of silly to just, you know, scrub history and scrub important figures and simplify everything into good and evil. Now, a lot of Confederate leaders have a lot of history uh, in that region. And the Civil War was very complicated. I'm not going to be one of these people that act like slavery had nothing to do with it. It was a major part of it, especially for the South. Uh, But it wasn't the be-all, end-all. It wasn't the 100% cause of the war. And it wasn't the reason everybody was involved in the war. There are many people, there are many abolitionists that fought for the Confederacy. Uh, There were slave owners that fought for the North. So it's just not black and white when it comes to that stuff. So I don't like the idea of scrubbing history to, you know, just because some people have a view of it. Uh, At the same time, I can kind of understand... That if you are someone who's an African-American or someone who has maybe specifically a a heritage of slavery and perhaps you're someone who has really felt that generationally and feels that today and is – I hate to use the term "triggered" because usually it's ter- it's used to mock people, but uh, there are, I mean, there are circumstances where I can understand why someone would would be upset by having these images, especially if they have associated these figures with the evils of sa- slavery, and it's not completely irrational that they would do so despite the complicated history. So, from that aspect, I can. Understand why there would be a certain amount of outcry to tear down statues of figures in in a modern world where we are against slavery and and want civil rights for everybody uh, who represent to a good number of people the opposite of that. So I get, I sort of get both sides of it, to be honest. Now, um, where I sort of come back in and try to give a real answer is what's the solution? Private property! Private property! The only reason this is even an issue is because of the tragedy of the commons, because we have these public squares in wherever, and you're forcing everybody to pay for it. So, of course, everyone has to have a say, and sort of should have a say, because everyone's money is being taken. But you can't all have a say. You can't all have a Robert E. Lee statue, and all of you have a Robert E. Lee statue taken down. That's just never going to work, and there's always going to be conflict. Meanwhile, if we try to get back to a place where everything is at least based on the idea of private property, well, some people have a right to have a museum or have a mansion or have their own club or whatever, historical society, whatever, where they have a Robert E. Lee statue, as they are now. You know, Private, private residences or private property establishments can certainly have statues of any Confederate leader they want. Uh, that's how it should be everywhere. Uh, at the same time, you wouldn't want to force a Robert Lee, E. Lee statue onto the property of someone who doesn't want it there, and when you have public property, it just creates this endless conflict where there's not really a right or wrong. There's never a right or wrong. Both, both sides sort of have a legitimate claim to have a say because it's their money being taken, and uh, neither side has a full claim. <laughs> so it really is an impossible situation where, where not everybody can be pleased. When it comes to the specifics, though, I, I do kind of see both sides, and there's no great solution, really, to be honest, because there's going to be pissed off people either way. How's that libertarianism for you? There's no solution. <laughs> now, I do have a few more letters of liberty in the old mailbag, but I do want to keep a few of them around specifically for next week because everybody's fan favorite show, Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor is going to make its return. I want to have a few letters of liberty on standby so we can break it down and we're going to have some special guests. I'm going to leave it at that for now. But a lot of you enjoyed when I had Johnny Adams and Remzo Martinez, two other podcast hosts, on to engage in the Liberty Libations. We're going to do something similar a week from now. Until next time, don't forget to check out all the other wonderful shows here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. This coming Wednesday, you've got Brian McWilliams with his weekly look at comedy, culture, and Liberté on Electric Liberty Land. And then on Friday, John Odermatt returns once again with his weekly look at the Broken criminal justice system with Felony Friday. It's always a blast here on Lions of Liberty. We got something for everybody. So why don't you tell a friend or two or 12 or 20 about it. Maybe even leave us a five star rating and a great review on iTunes. But most importantly, make sure to live long and live free.